Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Ghost in the Shell in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. Before we jump into today's movie, uh, just a little bit of an update. Um, as I mentioned before, I injured my hand recently, and today I uh, had the follow-up appointment following my surgery. I will not be returning to work for at least another week, so uh, while that will leave me cooped up and somewhat stir-crazy, hopefully that will uh, translate into more frequent uh, content for you listeners out there. I meant to put out uh, the Ghost in the Shell episode yesterday, but <clears throat> due to time considerations and things like that, I was not able to do that. So, a little bit of a delay, but back on schedule, back into it, all that kind of thing. I don't know uh, exactly when I'll be going back to work. It'll be at least a week. Uh, that's when they'll take out the stitches, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. Uh, I think it's highly likely that uh, my time off will continue and extend beyond that point, but that's uh, another bridge to cross when I get to it. So for now, <clears throat> we're just going to talk about Ghost in the Shell and uh, what I think about it. So, this is the 2017 remake of the original animated film that came out in 95, uh, but I believe that it also takes some inspiration from the series as well. I'm not, I'm not very well-versed. I've only seen the, the film, and that was only just recently. So, it's, it's mildly fresh in my mind, but by being so recent that I see it, that I've seen it, I haven't had any chance to really dwell on it or anything uh, into that effect. And I liked the animated film. I think it's good. I think it poses a lot of interesting questions and uh, creates a very compelling theme and uh, presentation for this kind of a what am I? What a what does being a consciousness in a robotic body mean, all that sort of thing. I I wasn't entirely anticipating this film, to be honest. You know, I like Scarlett Johansson, um, but I, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, chomping at the bit to get a Ghost in the Shell live action film. And I tried to avoid the trailers as much as possible. Uh, the bits and pieces that I saw looked good, but not anything I was, you know, swayed into going to see. I went and saw it yesterday morning, or, or I guess early afternoon, and my initial takeaway is it's fine. And, you know, fine in the sense that, you know, in a, in a kind of a two out of five stars sort of way. That's that's my letterboxed rating for Ghost in the Shell. Two out of five stars, uh, which translates into uh, a a forty something on my spreadsheet. In this case, I believe it is a forty 
41, 41, which um, for those of you keeping score at home, puts it on par with Journey to the West, The Demons Strike Back, which was which also came out this year. Uh, yeah, so here's the thing, right? The original film is, is definitely, I think, flawed, but it succeeds because it has such a compelling theme and poses a lot of very hard to answer and interesting questions that we as humans in 2017 don't really have an answer for yet. Uh, you know, not that we necessarily ever will, but these are questions that we can't even pose because the, that's not the sort of world we live in. The This version, though, the remake, is much less concerned with a lot of those big themes that the original film introduced. And in its place, it opts for more character-driven drama surrounding uh, Major, Scarlett Johansson's character, which in and of itself is fine if the character drama is as potent as the overarching themes that are presented in the original film. That's kind of the, the, the barrier there. That's the, it's the, uh, the line to cross, as it were. And there are moments where I think the film pulls that off. You know, I, Michael Pitt uh, plays like the pseudo-villain in this movie, and I really liked him. I liked his character. Unfortunately, they don't use him very often, and his the the plot involving him is kind of ushered to the side in favor of a sort of big corporation plot instead. Uh, in this film, the big corporation kind of takes the place of uh, Section Six, uh, the whatever section isn't it? I think she's part of Section. I think Major is part of Section Nine, and so. In the original film, there's nine and six. In this film, they don't have really a six. And it's this big sort of cybernetic corporation instead. Which, again, is fine if the change meets the level of quality that the original had for its original element. And I think in all cases, it doesn't. I think that ultimately the film changes a lot of things most of which for the worse, worser, uh, for the worse, I mean, is the right way to say it. And that's just, that's, that's the issue, you know? That's kind of the big thing. I think that a person watching this without the foreknowledge of the original film will enjoy it more. And... But I don't. I think for the most part, people that watch this have already seen the original. Uh, hence the low box office numbers that it got over the weekend. Outside of Scarlett Johansson, who is uh, quite justifiably the biggest part of this movie, uh, Juliette Binoche is in this as the uh, scientist, doctor, cybernetics person that puts Scarlett Johansson's body together and whatnot, performs the diagnostics, things like that. Uh, she's serviceable. You know, she's not really uh, 
excelling in her performance by any stretch. You know, I've seen her in a multitude of better films than this, and this is a very run-of-the-mill performance, in my opinion, of hers. Uh, like I said, I really liked Michael Pitt um, as uh, Kuze. I think Pilo Asbike, which I know I pronounced incorrectly, as Batu was solid. You know, he's the guy with the eyes, like the sidekick. I liked him. He had a nice sort of, uh, I don't know how to say it. He had a nice way about him. You know, I, I was really concerned that that character was going to have a difficult time translating to live action. Uh, but he, he managed to make that make him feel, make Batu feel uh, real. And, and that's, that's definitely not easy. Uh, the rest of the cast is largely people I'm not really very familiar with at all. Um, and, and for that reason, you know, I don't really know much to comment on them. I did recognize a few faces, uh, particularly foreign faces, but none that uh, stuck with me. You know, I don't think any of the other performances are terribly over the moon or anything. I believe that the, the, the best part of this movie are the visuals. So the movie definitely feels like the future. It definitely feels like, you know, it feels like more than just a green screen. It feels like more than just a set that they built. It actually feels like a world that, that these characters are inhabiting and that these characters have become familiar with and have lived in for quite some time you get a lot of a lot of just there are a lot of these like brief uh shots of the city from above uh you know as part of transitional sections and i i liked that i think that you know just keeping keeping us aware that this is not the present and also doing a good job of kind of expanding what our understanding is for what this future is, uh, is, is really important. And I think the film manages to do that quite well. The problem therein, and you know, nothing to do with the visuals themselves, they're stunning. Uh, what, what I, what I did have a problem with was simply how, (sighs) the writing seemed to be really jarring and clunky. I think that, uh, you know, who wrote this? Written by Jamie Moss, uh, as well as William Wheeler and Aaron Kruger. I believe most of those are ones I've seen other films from. So you've got William Wheeler who was also a god of writing credit on Queen of Cotway, which was good. So that's, so I don't think he's the reason why things don't sound right in this. Uh, Jamie Moss, this is the first writing credit I think I have for him. So I'm going to point to Aaron Kruger. And I don't know, I believe Aaron is a female. E-H-R-E-N. I like that spelling. No, Aaron is a guy. Uh, and the re and I think I want to point to him, not to like call him out or anything, 
you know, I'm glad, hey, it's great to be successful in Hollywood. But the other writing credits that this guy has are, uh, you know, wait for it, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, Transformers Dark of the Moon, Transformers Age of Extinction. So I, I don't think he was the right choice for anything, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, maybe Jamie Moss was a part of this as well. I think William Wheeler is a fine writer based on what else I've seen of his. But Aaron Kruger's writing and all the Transformers movies is garbage. And that carried over to this movie, I think. Uh, there's a lot of dialogue and uh, scripted uh, action that just feels unnatural. And, you know, the scene, set, scenery and setting does such a great job of putting you in this world and making it feel like you're actually there. That for the dialogue and everything else to pull you out of the world is truly an accomplishment in the worst sense of the word uh you know it's just the way that they talk about the things that they're doing the way that they talk about uh there's a moment where batu and major are like walking down this side street and they're like they feed the dogs and i mean maybe on paper that sounds like a good idea in the film looks terrible seems terrible just a lot of just I don't know, it just it doesn't make sense, it doesn't transition well from the scene before it, it doesn't really have any overbearing on the rest of the film. You know, they call back to the dogs once later on in the movie, where Batu can't do it because the, he had his eyes replaced, and so Major does it instead, and I don't know the significance of that, because I don't think there is any significance to it. So... <sighs> The, the writing is just not good. It's just not, 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 not good. Uh, what I liked about... So I mentioned that they, they rather sort of harped more on the character drama for Major. I liked that. You know, everything involving Michael Pitt's character, I enjoyed. It was just a shame that he wasn't used more. You know, I think he's in two actual scenes where he has dialogue and then like you see a shadow of him for the rest of the movie i wish that they delved deeper into that you know i'm ha i'm fine if they want to take this movie in a completely different direction that's cool but it seemed like they couldn't commit enough you know they wanted to be able to have the references that the original fans felt and and could recognize at the same time also sort of dipping their toes into a different direction but ultimately it just kind of falls flat on the whole and i think that that's not good they you know you they have to pick one way or the other it you know very few and far between are the films that can have their cake and eat it too you know you can only have so many callbacks and references in a movie uh, without branching out into something new and and vice versa before like the film sort of collapses under the lack of support you know to look at a film so like Beauty and the Beast came out recently remake of an animated film from you know 20 some years ago and it really doesn't try to branch out or do much new 
much, much else new uh, for this movie. It's very, very strictly adhering to the original plot structure, the original themes, the original characters that the original film, that the original animated film had. And to its credit, it succeeds because of that. It's, it's watchable and enjoyable because of those things. If it had, you know, completely gotten rid of, you know, Gaston, for example, and instead we had some other sort of side plot that caused the villagers to attack, and there was no Gaston character, there was no Gaston song, there was no uh, sort of competing love interest for Belle, like, I don't know what they would put in place of him, because Gaston's a great character, and is one of the best parts of that movie. So, you know, it's just why, you know, if you're gonna adhere, if you're gonna respect the original thing, actually respect it. Don't tease us the, that respect and then sort of veer off into a completely different direction. That's that's how I feel about it. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't really have too much else I want to say. I, I don't feel like I need to go into spoilers for this movie uh, because one, half of them, if you've seen the original film, you know them. Uh, and two, I don't know, I, there's, there's not too much going on uh, to spoil, I don't think. Uh, it's just, it's a good movie, or, I'm sorry, it's a, it's a good-looking movie. It's not a good movie, on it, though. I like the music, I, I thought the score was pretty good, it sounded, it, it, you know, this the music helped sort of put you in the mood to be in the future. It, it seemed to kind of all fit together uh, as long as no one was talking. Um, but yeah, that's kind of it. I don't know what else I really want to say about it. Uh, just kind of look through here. I don't think, I really don't think it has a shot at any Oscar nominations, anything like that. I think the best aspect of it for me was the visual effects. Um, and it's reflected as such on the Circle of Film Award, the the Circle of Film Awards currently. But I don't imagine that it'll stay there by the end of the year. Likewise, Scarlett Johansson is currently uh, on the Best Actress category, simply because there were only four people there before I watched this movie, and so now there's five. Uh, you know, maybe if this movie had come out a month or two ago. Michael Pitt would have been on the best supporting actor slot right now. He isn't. And I think it's less to do with his acting that his character's good and more to do with the uh, dimensions that his character brings to major um, insofar as like why I liked Michael Pitt's character's inclusion. There is a pretty cool scene that is mostly taken from the animated film uh, with it, which is sort of a hand-to-hand a fi- a -hand combat scene that takes place in a pool of water. I liked that scene. I don't think that this movie is at, ever, at any point trying to uh, sort of blow anybody away with its action moments, but I think that that was a scene where they could have done that, and instead they just kind of opted for adequate. Uh, so, 
that's 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 where I fell on that part of the thing. Um, also, I I was thinking this while I was watching it, but when I'm watching an Avengers film or a Marvel film that Black Widow is a part of, and Scarlett Johansson is out there and she's kicking butt and taking names, I'm never I never doubt that she's able to do any of the things she's doing. Right, so you know whether it's Iron Man two or Avengers or uh, Winter Soldier or Civil War, whatever the film is, I'm never in doubt as to the fact that she can do all these things and she is perfectly capable of taking down a group of people who are armed and she's not. Right. For some reason, though, and I don't know if it's just the fact that like. I don't know, she wears different clothing in Ghost in the Shell than she does in the Marvel films. Uh, Maybe she is on a different regimen, or I don't know if she added or lost weight between, you know, for this film or not. Something about her felt different. And I don't don't know exactly what it was. Um, But it was, there was something off enough to make me feel like she didn't completely own that aspect of her character. You know, like she's like, I respect the fact that Scarlett Johansson as an actress can totally play an action star. Like I, I buy that. I've seen Lucy and, uh, you know, all the Marvel films, but this, I don't know. There's something just a little bit off and I, I really can't place it. And so I don't know if anybody else felt the same way, but I don't know. I just can't we just get a Black Widow movie? Like, do we need... How many more solo Scarlett Johansson movies are we going to have to see before they relent? Uh, seems silly. Seems like a waste. But, I don't know. I'm I'm not in control of Marvel, so... That's, that's up to them, not me. <sighs> anyway... Uh, yeah, I guess that's gonna do it for my review of Ghost in the Shell. Kind of a short episode, guys. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll be back. Um, I'm looking ahead on my schedule. Uh, it might be a couple of days before another review episode. And, you know, I'm looking at song to song, the new... Uh, Malik film. Uh, I don't know. You know, that's. I think that film has a pretty big cast, so I might be able to do a statistics episode for that one. Uh, if not, you know, definitely don't have anything by tomorrow, so I'll be probably looking to put out the next 10 films on the Box Office Mojo Top 100 uh, uh, tomorrow, once I find the time to record that episode. And then. We'll go from there as far as song to song, and like I mentioned before, I still need to put out, or I still need to do the April Born uh, actor episode. I'm still kind of trying to watch a few more movies from some of the people at the top of that list right now to give myself more to talk about, I guess. Uh, So that's where everything's at right now. If you have any comments, concerns, questions, or answers, you can direct those to circleoffilm at gmail.com. If 
you are interested in more episodes of the podcast or learning more about me or the spreadsheet, checking out any of the past scavenger hunt winners for superlatives or the Circle of Film Awards from last year or this year, you can find all that information and more at circleoffilm.com. And uh, as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fails.